Hi, and welcome to the third season of the Duck Industry Podcast, bringing you personal and truthful conversations. We acknowledge that the cultural establishment of which we are part still needs to undergo a fundamental transformation of true inclusivity. The Duck Industry Podcast is meant as a source of inspiration to envision a different way, a better way. We want to evolve together and dedicate ourselves to the work we have done so far and are committed to practicing further. We believe the future of this field lies in the power of the wide range of experiences, aesthetics, storytelling and perspectives that you all have to offer. It's a great joy to welcome back our glorious partners and curators, the POC2 Programmers of Color Collective and the What's Up With Dogs podcast. We are also happy to introduce new collaborators, our colleagues from Kinopravda Institute from Serbia, Belgrade. We look much forward to highlighting and celebrating the ideas, themes and discussions our colleagues will bring to this. Duck Industry is funded by Creative Europe, the City of Leipzig, BKM and MDM. We thank our partners and supporters for their contribution. Enjoy! My name is Bidatri Chaudhry and um, I use she, her pronouns and today in this podcast we have two fantastic guests who I'll be in conversation with. We'll be discussing documentaries, we'll be discussing the non-profit model and we'll be discussing how if we have better non-profits, we'll have better documentaries. And in this conversation, we'll also be touching upon the uh, non-profits and their missions and how they often mission wash to uh, which is basically how they often hide behind their missions while um, doing you know unsavory unsavory stuff with labor and other stuff um, that we'll dis that we'll discuss more of Um, so today I have with me Hansen Bursek hi Hansen hello and what brings you here can you just give us a little introduction Hi, my name is Hanson Bursik. Uh, I am, uh, I use he, him pronouns. I'm coming to you from Pittsburgh, which is the occupied ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, uh, Lenape, Osage, and Shawnee peoples. Um, and uh, I'm a filmmaker uh, and I worked for film nonprofits pretty much uh, my entire career. And uh, currently I uh, work at Outfest as their marketing manager. And, uh, and yeah, it's just a little bit about me. Yeah, Hanson. And what is your connection to documentary nonprofits that brings you here today? Yeah. Uh, so I've worked at documentary nonprofits uh, before. I, I notably worked at uh, IDA before this. And while at IDA, uh, the International Documentary Association, um, I uh, was a part of the organizing efforts for the Documentary Workers United, DWU, which is a first of its kind union, um, which I was so fortunate to get up to work on um, with you, Badatri, and, uh, and it's been a really amazing journey to this moment, um, getting that, uh, that first of its kind union and, you know, getting to have these conversations publicly for the first time that I think a lot of us are having in private. So that's really what brings me to this work and, uh, and why I'm excited to be on this podcast. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, and as we demystify the history of the American nonprofit industrial com- complex mission statement, we'll also interrogate its role in maintaining a status quo of white supremacy at our institutions, which is something that's harming the labor relations, which is eventually harming the kind of documentary films we end up uh, making. And um, to this and more, uh, we'll speak Shakira Refos, our next um, guest. Shakira, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what brings you to this conversation? Yeah, sure. My name is Shakira Rifos. I use she, her pronouns. Um, What brings me to the conversation is, you know, professionally, I work full time for the California Film Institute. We produce the Mill Valley Film Festival and Docklands Film Festival. We own a theater in San Rafael. Um, And I also program documentaries for Tribeca. I'm an associate programmer there. What brings me to this conversation is, you know, I, I always tell people I, I don't know anything about film. I know literally nothing. I didn't go to film school and came to this industry in kind of a unique way, which leads me to um, be sometimes a little bit more critical than I think um, others might have come into this space as being able to be, you know, power structures being the way that they mm-hmm. are. Um, I question everything. I'm critical of a lot, especially just understanding as a Black woman, uh, queer Black woman working in these uh, PWIs, primarily white institutions, how things are ran the way they are. Why are things done the way that they're done? And why do we always kind of lean on the way things have always been done when I always say, you know, we're in charge, we're in control, we're the administrators Mm -hmm. here, we're the leadership. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's vitally important that we, you know, remain critical. I was born of two colonized atheists, so I'm basically <laughs> born to fight. And so I'm here to just like talk about how we can maybe um, think about things a little bit differently. And I love having those conversations. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and it's so exciting to hear that because, and Hanson knows this, that my parents were union workers. So I, you know, I'll use that. I was, I think I was born to fight and question these things too. Um, So let's like, you know, jump into the conversation. As I said, it's about documentary nonprofits. It's about the nonprofit model in general, beyond documentaries even, and also trying to figure out who the documentary worker is, you know, someone who's not on set, someone who's not a quote-unquote filmmaker, but their constant labor and efforts go into the making of a film that we put out in the world that's like getting on the streamers, getting all these awards. Um, So, and there has been somewhat of a movement within this space that, of course, we will talk about. Hanson spoke about a little bit already uh, So, yeah, we'll um, basically talk about what are very toxic working situations and where do we place a documentary worker within them and how can we imagine a better nonprofit model. But let's start from the beginning. Shakira, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, the history of these mission statements? Yeah, as I was um, doing research for the podcast, I, I kind of started to realize that the history of the mission statement isn't quite as relevant to this conversation um, as opposed to how I kind of started 
interrogating our organization's mission statement Mm -hmm. um, and the way that we do things. So I'm going to use California Film Institute as an example, um, because it's a place where I've had the opportunity to show immense growth and leadership and affect change in ways um, that are transformative to the Marin area, to the education community, the way that we um, engage folks uh, in film and the conversations behind film. Uh, CFI has always been open to criticism, to critique, to being questioned, and the organization has has really um, been super supportive in that way. But I first started to think about the role of an organization's mission statement as I witnessed film festivals and art houses, nonprofits, scramble to join what I can only describe as a trend of stating their land acknowledgments. Um, (laughs) What is land acknowledgment? A land acknowledgment is a formal statement that recognizes and respects indigenous peoples, as traditional stewards of this land and the enduring relationship that exists between indigenous peoples and their traditional territories. So that's kind of like an official um, understanding of what a land acknowledgement is. So it's symbolic, right? And as someone who grew up in the queer community, I see symbolism everywhere and I don't always see like a lot of action. So I was kind of like drawn to the land acknowledgement as I was trying to understand what the acknowledgement is what and what it means. Um, And thinking about the importance of the land and its people, I was watching institutions rush to show us that they may understand the concept of a land acknowledgement without any real interrogation of the praxis. How have you historically contributed to the marginalization of indigenous group and communities? So you're Mm -hmm. doing the land acknowledgement, but you're not saying the thing. Um, So taking CFI as an example, we here in in Marin um, have leased in the past um, have leased our the theater that we own in San Rafael for a dollar. That land cost wow. us one dollar. And that happens traditionally along nonprofit institutions. Yeah. It's a way for cities to keep uh, arts and culture uh, relevant, of course. But how are we going to state a land acknowledgement without saying that part about the land that we're on? Um, In the words of cultural critic, educator, and community organizer, TJ Galaxy, you're all theory without the practice, baby. Yeah. So I started to think, like, how can we be so wrong and so loud at the same time? (laughs) Shouldn't one's mission statement prevent this kind of hypocrisy? Is the mission statement not the beacon of how to do things correctly, the guiding light of how to protect your communities? If not, what is actually the point of the mission statement? And what are we all really doing here? So in this research, I've really come to find the mission statement being uh, the (laughs) ultimate, long story short, the mission statement (laughs) is the ultimate force for evil in the nonprofit industrial (laughs) complex. It provides the organization with a symbolic crutch that prevents any policy or structural um, movement within it uh, or programming from being questioned. So that's yeah. it. Yeah, no, I mean, I know this is a podcast and you guys can't see our faces, but our heads will fall off from the nodding. Uh, Hanson, uh, jump in. Yeah, no, I mean, so much of what you said resonated so deeply. I think that, you know, we are at an, it's such an interesting time Um, And I'm seeing this a lot, a lot what you talked about with land acknowledgements with accessibility right now. A lot of people want to talk the big talk about accessibility, and they want to get ahead of this, uh, you know, new wave of like, 
of uh, accountability that's happening. Um, but in reality, they're still like not doing like the bare minimum of what accessibility best practices are. Um, you know, they want to say that they're a part of accessibility standards, but then they they won't actually implement the accessibility within their own organization. Um, uh, I mean, I've been seeing it everywhere. So it's just, I'm, I, yeah, I, I completely uh, agree with a lot of what you're saying. And, uh, and as me and Padatri talked about a little bit in preparation for this, you know, I mean, we, you know, we see this a lot at organizations, this mission washing that kind of happens, this idea that, you know, we sit in these rooms uh, where we talk the big talk about doing this in the community, but, you know, in our own organizations or in practice, that doesn't ever happen. Um, sitting in an organization where, um, you know, we don't have a clear vision and we're just relying on an, a set, like centuries old mission statement is, is uh, you know, really holding us back uh, as, as a field um, and has been, uh, an, I agree, a, a big threat to how we, um, how we move forward uh, in these organizations. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing, of course, what you're talking about, what you both just talked about, you know, it, it, it reflects the larger nonprofit problem. But I also wanted to speak specifically about documentaries because we are supposed to be changing the world, right? We are demanding all these accountable filmmaking practices as we should. We are taking responsibility of people's lives and their life stories. And then we're making all these films where we are aiming towards a sense of responsibility, accountability, transparency, and what have you. My, like, what really amazes me is when documentary nonprofits do this. Like, I'm not saying other nonprofits, it's okay for other nonprofits to do it, but this is what we are getting the money in for. And then just turning our backs and being very different people, not doing what we say we are doing. Shakira, did you want to add something? Yeah, no, I think I want to do two things. So I want to say, for one, that we have this conversation a lot internally at CFI, where we realize that we're so busy putting together these events and doing the work that we're actually not really even talking about film. And maybe if we were talking about film more and about like the awesome documentaries that give us these lessons um, about how to treat people, how to respect people, how to be more accessible. Like we're always um, showing documentaries about um, othered, marginalized, then how can we not know better, right? Mm. Um, so I think that's important. But just to state, um, we're, we're all in the United States right now. Um, Doc Leipzig is not. So let me just say for everyone to understand specifically what um, a mission statement is so that we're all coming uh, all across, across the world. Hopefully everyone who's listening to this understands what we're talking about. So the American government, uh, the IRS, uh, Internal Revenue Service, and other government agencies rely on an organization's stated purpose, a mission statement, for evidence of its qualifications for sales, real estate tax, uh, corporate exemptions at the state and federal level. An organization, therefore, must clearly communicate the justification for its federal tax exemptions as charitable, educational, and or religious. The purpose statement is also a key importance for directors and officers to fulfill the fiduciary duty of obedience. This legal duty requires each nonprofit leader to obey or adhere, adhere to this statement. Uh, 
But when's the last time you guys have sat in a room and like worked on a program <laughs> and someone's been like, does this fulfill, does this fit within our mission statement, even yeah. though that's how we are financially benefiting from these uh, tax exemptions? Yeah. No, I have always had problems with um, leadership in general, but board leadership, because at the end of the day, I just felt and when I... I still work for a nonprofit. I work, I mean, I work for, I'm a journalist now. I've moved away from the documentary field. Um, it is a nonprofit newspaper that I work for uh, with a for-profit section to it. I mean, that that's, that's very complicated and it's probably beyond the scope of this uh, conversation. But one thing that has always struck me and amazes me is how a board of directors in a nonprofit who don't work there, who um, most mostly are volunteering their time. I don't. I just don't understand the logic of them dis- getting to decide our salaries, our hours, our policies. That is something I, I, I honestly think the nonprofit model needs to do better. And of course, like, you know, and as Hansen and I have, uh, you know, lived through ourselves, it's like, of course, these are like field leaders, documentary filmmakers who are making these films going out, very important members of the community, but how they can just turn up on the board and just let all that go. You know, like you said, Shakira, like when was the last time... uh, these people like you know put forth a policy or a program which forget the mission statement lives up to even the stuff they they you know put out in their professional uh public lives so yeah and and Hansen, i'd love to hear from you about this idea of leadership and especially because you formed a union which is not very common in nonprofits yet uh, just, you know, a little bit about if you can talk a little bit about nonprofits and the leadership model in general. Yeah, I mean, and absolutely. I mean, I will certainly later in this conversation talk about exactly what happened with um, my particular situation um, and unionizing in that space. But it was so interesting what we found out um, over the course of trying to, you know, talk about the issues that faced our union uh, staff members. Uh, What essentially we found is like what I think most organizations would find if they had spaces to talk about this, that we didn't talk about this because we didn't have the spaces built in. Nonprofit workers are overworked almost all of the time. Sorry, I'm and underpaid and underpaid and 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 uh and exploited. And the exploitation that happens with nonprofit workers is unique. When you work at a corporation, you absolutely get exploited. But, you know, when you sign up to work at a corporation, there is a certain distance that you place or many people place between you and the place that you work, that you clock out at the end of the day. And, you know, any of the work that you do for your career is is, is used for money. And and that is that Um, whether it's, uh, you know, your uh, passion or not, uh, there's much more distance between you and your workplace in the corporate space for a lot of people. When in you're in the nonprofit space, and I come from advocacy nonprofits before I came to this space, and it's much worse there. Um, but the idea that you know you care so deeply about 
the mission about like why that organization exists and that you that this organization is important that you will you will accept less pay that you will accept worse working conditions you'll put this aside because you're told that you're doing this for the people that it's altruism it's charity but it's not charity it's your job it's your workplace and it's like what you do for a living to like it's also make- like my whole ass life like exactly <laughs> yes yes i'm a I mean, person yeah. And, and, and you know, the thing is yeah. that people don't talk about this and it's, it's what leads to peer burnout. It's what leads to good people leaving this work for corporate jobs because they have that distance. It leads to people like being so jaded and overwhelmed that they can't even interact with these spaces anymore that they care so deeply about. Yeah. Um, and uh, to speak to your point, Badatri, about leadership, is there's a distance that leadership has to this, where you know there the people in leadership, uh, from my experience, so many of them have been through all of this that they just accept it as normal. They come from a generation where this is just normal, 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 and mm-hmm. it should never have been normal. And you know, there's a certain amount of respect that I have for leadership, especially leadership who come from like marginalized communities who've made their way to the top and work their way to get to where they are to have that space and you know to be in that space is it's it's something in and of itself that is an accomplishment but you know if we're not questioning you know why it takes so much work and time and it's so difficult for us to get to that space for those people to get into those spaces and for people in leadership to you know for for somebody like me who works at nonprofits to find themselves in a leadership space i i don't think we're doing it right Yeah, and I also, uh, and I'm sure Shakira will add to this, I also am very wary of the mission becoming the organization, becoming the person. Like, you know, it just becomes this conglomerate of, I don't know, trifecta of this godlike things that we can't question. And another, as someone who has left the documentary nonprofit space into and to go into a corporate workforce, I know at least there are systems in place for this. They might not work. It's more often than not a broken system but at least there's a system in place and i'm not just supposed to regard this individual because they have an oscar you know what i mean like and this whole thing about the organization becoming the mission becoming the person is so problematic because we all know that's not the case so and that is another thing and maybe our conversation can move to that is sometimes people are just afraid of questioning these organizations because it becomes questioning the mission and nobody's questioning the mission that you want to change the world and you want to bring in social change through effective storytelling you'd have to be a monster (laughs) to be against that mission and i guess people just get shamed out of it so i think that like part of my reality check came from um you know getting seasonal jobs at some of you know the one of, I'll just say it, one of the world's most renowned uh, film festivals in the United States um, and thinking, this is this is going to be it. This is going to be everything. These I'm, I'm working amongst the smartest and brightest um, in our industry. And then you get there and you want to have like a progressive com- conversations about, uh, I come from the education space. I talk to, to uh, kids about film for a living, you know? So I'm always mm-hmm. leaning towards how can we really actually change minds here and realizing that, oh, you guys don't know anything. 
Yeah. And actually, even worse, just like how we said, oh, we have to like respect this person because they have an Oscar. Well, leadership, y'all let Harvey Weinstein rock for 25 years. Ooh, Hanson will have something to say about this soon. <laughs> it's crazy how yeah. these organizations are still connected to like the old, terrible, uh, like systems of Hollywood and all this old stuff. And in a lot of ways, it's getting worse with the introduction of streamers. But that's a whole other conversation. Yes, yeah. I, I, you know, it's so funny to me. And I, you know, just playing off of what you said, uh, you know, it's, to me, you know, it was when I I moved across the country, you know, for a job in a nonprofit. And, you know, when I got there, it was a lot of talk about like big, exciting, progressive things. And I was reading things about, you know, organization and the organization I was working for becoming more progressive and the leadership changed. Everything was exciting. And then, you know, it, with like that, we had a shift in leadership. And things changed. And it reminds me that these nonprofits aren't built in a way that it, many of these nonprofits aren't built in a way that's sustainable, that leadership can change so rapidly over mm-hmm. such a short period of time. I've watched it happen over literally months, such a short period of time where leadership changed that it could become a completely different culture in two, three, four months a year. I mean, in, and then you're working, you, you sit there and you wake up one day and you're like, what? I, this is not the organization I'm even working. What, what organization am I working for anymore? You you have to, you know, and th- that's the thing about these nonprofits because there's a lot of volunteerism and board volunteerism and, you know, leadership volunteerism that there's a lot of people who go from place to place to place to place. It really can shift just like that, going from a place mm-hmm. where, you know, you have momentum and things are building and then just like that, it's all gone. Um, and uh, part of it's, of course, burnout, um, you know, as part of it, because a lot of these people donate, they give a lot of their time and they can't, it's not sustainable in that way. Mm. But also part of it is leadership, you know, and, you know, who's in charge and who makes the decisions and, and tracking that, you know, how that moves over the course of a period of time. Yeah. And also like, you know, I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, I'm just, just occurred to me the amount of ego in this. Like, you know, with each leadership change, everything becomes a hobby project. Everything becomes your property. I mean, it's not, though. Like, why should change in leadership, why should organizational change become a community issue every time? And we've seen this in most nonprofits. Like, every time there's a new leader, there's something happening which involves the whole community. But, like, no one has the time, yo. Like, you know, it's like... There is, like you said, there is often no succession plan. There is often no, there's no blueprint. But everyone coming in and changing things the way they want to do it is so much like, it just like screams ego at me. Uh, And I could be wrong. Uh, What do you guys think? Well, I mean, if we're given the power to say like, what you're doing is going to change the world. At a certain point, you might start to believe that actually when <laughs> really what we're doing yep. is watching movie. Like, yeah, on, you know, I mean, films do have the power to change the world, but that just doesn't happen just by screening them. I was just like saying, it's so funny that you said that because I have this working theory that this is especially bad for filmmakers who become these leaders of, our, of organizations and work in these institutions because, you know, I went to film school. Um, it's, 
you know, it, it is a lot of problems. You know, filmmakers are told lots uh, all the time that they need to constantly be talking about themselves, constantly self-promoting, constantly saying that, they're, that, that their film is the next best thing, the next best thing, the next best thing. And I think that mixed with, you know, being in the documentary field where you are generally, you're, you're told that the work that you're doing is making a difference and that, you know, you are working on these big projects that uh, oftentimes do make a difference in some, in some level, you know, that you have this combination where you're like looking at yourself in the mirror and you're saying, I'm the next the best thing since sliced bread, mixed with the fact that you think you're changing the world. It's yeah. a recipe for ego, ego. Death. And you're doing it, quote unquote, voluntarily. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and this is, uh, yeah. Of course, that comes with privilege. And again, like, you know, just to re reiterate something that might be very obvious is it's not just grant making nonprofits. It's not just educational nonprofits here. But, you know, across the board, we've had film festival workers uh, pushing for accountability and like in huge places. Like I know Film at Lincoln Center, which organizes the New York Film Festival, uh, was uh, bargaining for a contract last year. They were picketing outside the film festival last year. So it's across the board. And we've heard about um, Amulante in Mexico, which, you know, just lost pretty much all of its, I mean, when I say lost, they were let go, pretty much all of its workforce through the pandemic. And then the coming back to work was very random. Uh, and like sloppy and some people got their jobs back some didn't so it's it's across the board like you know just just to, I know it, it can get very insular to think about the situations we've been in but this is happening everywhere and uh, of course there is sometimes like like both of you have touched upon it becomes a moral thing because there is apparently something cool about like showing that you're averse to money when the reality is very different like you know we've all read this um, recent Hollywood Reporter article about just the massive amount of cash grab that's happening within non in within the nonprofit ecosystem and uh, how nonprofits just maybe more often than not play a role in either getting that money granted to them but they also hold this moralistic position of being a nonprofit, and you don't want to touch that because then you're with the bad guys. But the truth is, as the article tells us, and as we all know through our experiences, that we are already shaking hands with these quote-unquote uh, bad guys, right? I, I just want to tell a quick story and then um, hand hand it over to Hampson, who is probably going to, you know, sure. yep. be able to talk about this way more eloquently than I am. But the story here is there's a, um, a LGBTQ plus forward a film festival in the Bay Area where I live. I'm not going to, you know, name any names, but what uh, what must it what it must feel like to sit in the Castro Theater, like one of the most historic and important places in, in, in American queer history. It's opening night. Um, you have all the gays from everywhere just here to celebrate this film festival. Uh, you raise the curtain after the organ plays, of course, because that's what we have here at the Castro, the organ player. And a Wells Fargo commercial starts playing and the entire audience starts to boo. <laughs> like that can't feel good. But that's also the type of thing is like, is this really what our audience wants? Like what experience are we 
wanting to give our audience as opposed to what do we think we're supposed to do? Because if you ask the audience, like, do you want this festival to be sponsored by Wells Fargo? They would probably say, fuck no, especially that specific audience. Yeah, and I remember being at Hot Docs earlier this year, and Canada is, like Toronto at least, is famous for having big bank sponsors for its film festivals. And someone in the audience said that in Toronto, the, the festivals are for the banks. Like, you know, be it Scotiabank, uh, be it TD Bank, they're like big sponsors of film festivals. Uh, and also within that, what does it mean to show a film uh, executive produced by Hillary Clinton? What does it mean to also have a film about Laura Poitras, who's, who, you know, who cares so much for surveillance? What does it mean for both of these people to have their films play at the same festival? It's like, what, and like, it's important to note here that TIFF is a nonprofit. Um, what does it mean? Like, what, where are we standing? Um, Hansen, I, I see you nodding your head. Yeah, and first of all, before I even go into it, uh, uh, the Castro Theater crowd is my saving grace. I'm so happy <laughs> every time, every time. <laughs> they are audible. I love it. Um, it's the energy we need. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's huge. And, you know, obviously I work for a film festival now. I I, I work for Outfest in Los Angeles. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I've worked there long enough to make any, like, hot takes about, like, what's going on. Um, and so I won't. Um, and I, I genuinely like, like the job. So I'm going to, I want to keep my mouth shut. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, like the thing is, is that we live in this space where the COVID did just decimated nonprofit, the nonprofit ecosystem, um, for most nonprofits and especially arts nonprofits, cause they were, uh, they're always, we're always the first on the chopping block. So, you know, we, we had to turn to, you know, to something. And so a lot of organizations turn to corporate sponsorship and inherently corporate sponsorship isn't bad, but you have to think about your audience and what you represent and what you're working on and how you're, you know, you're using that money and how much impact that money has, where that money is coming from on your every day. If you're have a, a, a grant or a sponsorship or a program or a festival or a screening about something, any, whatever that may be, um, you know, and you're screening a documentary about like, about social, a social justice topic or about, you know, a marginalized community. And the sponsor is an organization that actively works against that community. You have a problem. Um, and, and it gets worse, you know, the more money you take and how much stipulation is on that money. So it's a slippery slope. And I, and I think, you know, it's something to keep an eye on coming up in the future. Yeah. And, you know, neither of us here think we should do the emotional labor of fixing this. Neither do we get paid enough to fix this. But uh, what is, and Hanson, I would love for you to talk about unionizing in general within the documentary nonprofit space here, but also Shakira. What, you know, where do you see hope in this? Where do you see things changing, which you think we should highlight and spotlight in this conversation? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. First of all, before I even go into this, uh, you know, me unionize or us unionizing um, uh, IDA, I mean, that was like a, a group effort. And I think Badatri is sort of underplaying her role in that. Uh, <laughs> she was a major part. We we organized it together. It was 
me, her, um, and our amazing coworker, Eddie uh, has to be, and then um, Crystal Sotomayor, who are, I mean, who are, they're running it now. And it it was, I mean, it's a great group. um, And, you know, this really was a, a staff led effort. Um, but, you know, just to talk about it, I mean, I think I think the unions, uh, you know, I don't think that unions are like the sole solution to fixing the nonprofit ecosystem. I just don't think there is a sole solution to fixing a nonprofit ecosystem. When we unionized, people had a ton of and still do have a ton of problems with IDA and how it's run and blah, 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 blah. You can read about it. It's everywhere. Um, you can Google it. Um, but, you know, when we were unionizing, I think a lot of people thought that that was the solution to the problem. Oh, the mm. union will fix the problem. And it again comes down to the staff. I mean, like people think that working people, you know, who have nine to five jobs where we were getting paid, I was getting paid entry level salary, uh, organizing a union on the side, I was going to, I was going to solve the problems at IDA. And I don't think that that is very fair. (laughs) But on top of that, I mean, who has the time? Uh, You know, what we we organized and we unionized out of necessity. You know, it was it was a necessity. We wanted a voice at our organization. We needed better pay. We needed better treatment. You know, there was no alternative to unionizing. It was we either leave the organization, which many people did, or we unionized. And and that's the solution that we came up with for our own survival and for our own care. But beyond that, you know, we're also people who work in the community and do genuinely care about our organization and thought that Mm -hmm. having a bigger voice and having staff have a bigger voice would change our organization for the better. And I think it has. Um, but I think that, uh, I think that it's a part of the solution. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that honestly, I think that every nonprofit should be unionized. I think that there are special things that nonprofit workers deal with that other workers don't, um, that takes a, a, a bigger toll on you. And I think this is across the board and especially for advocacy organizations as somebody who has to deal with trauma on a day to day basis. And again, I'm sure that that again, Google it. I'm sure you can understand how much trauma goes through with nonprofit workers who work at more advocacy-based or healthcare-based organizations. But mm-hmm. um, but even for us at an arts organization, you know, there is just so much labor that we are asked to do for free, for nothing, for pennies. Um, and then we're expected to, you know, be a solution. I don't think so. But I will say, uh, you know, supporting unions and having unionized workplace is a part of the step forward holding organization leadership accountable. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. what people want the most is an organization being accountable to the people and the staff in many ways. And it was the same at IDA are the people it represented. We were filmmakers. We were programmers. Um, you know, we were uh, people, we were journalists, and and therefore we were the community in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that that was I think unionizing is, is really key, a key part of this conversation. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, I remember when we unionized, when our uh, union got recognized, there were our colleagues in other uh, documentary nonprofits, other guilds, other collectives who literally said, wow, we didn't know that could happen. So, you know, just I, I think I think just that bit of knowing this can happen, knowing this is an option and which I know, Shakira, you wanted to speak about this and you feel very passionately for this, as do all of us, is this idea of information sharing, this idea of letting people know that you're not alone in this 
and this is what happened to me so keep an eye out it might happen to you so what has been your experience with that yeah i mean you know i think i i spoke a little bit earlier about like how in the past i've um kind of idealized or you know organizations or pedestalized specific programmers um thinking that that was going to be like the way to a better world which is like something i'm constantly trying to figure out how to do in my personal life and the with the power i have in my uh professional life like how like how can we change the world that uh, how do I, how can i live in the world i really like want to see how can i contribute to that it's definitely not through um uh, idolatry that's 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 it that's not how that's gonna work so nope. i think that part of it is where where i find hope in watching people kind of kill their idols um kill the what the what the institute means in their heads and why uh, thinking specifically like we work in the space where idolatry is kind of part of where the money is um we more than like needing to share more information we didn't really think we were being abused for a long time yes that that feeling of being gaslit yes so i think what's really important here is um the people i idolize most which is i still idolize people but there are actually people who don't want to be idolized at all um and i'm um talking about like uh, sonia childress um the for color congress uh, Gemma Desai who was just like never ending uh brilliance uh, mm-hmm. Sarah Ty Black I had the privilege of being in a, in a conversation with uh, the two of them earlier this week uh, Gemma Desai this work isn't for us we'll constantly constantly talk about that document uh please read it it's 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 open uh, open source and then also Lucy Paul Themba and Hussein uh, at the programmers of color collective who are really helping us push towards um having tough conversations but also getting together and having like finding the hope in where a lot of what we love about this work originates is a sense of community um yep. so yeah. we will be able to do better together but we have to really uh, trust each other for us to be able to trust each other we have to break down some of the harm we've done be really honest and transparent about that uh, apologize and just work towards moving better as a, as a group yeah and then do that amazing list of superstars and badasses i want to add the work of the documentary accountability working group which sonia childress is of course a member of but and i have just sat in amazement and in awe of the work they've been doing in their demands uh, for accountability and transparency especially when it comes to documentary film making and my hope really is that that somebody or maybe we through conversation through community extend that work to ask for accountability in all the other sectors of the documentary ecosystem that fall beyond the direct filmmaking aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm a big advocate for community and talking. Talk with your coworkers. I mean like have these dark hard conversations and you know, I think that a good apology is such an important thing. I I wish yeah. Yeah. people yeah. were better at apologizing. I think right. that it's completely normal and I don't think it should be something that is shameful and I and I really truly think it should be something that's regular. You know, yeah. um I mean we're humans, we all make mistakes. And you know, yeah, but and perfection, I think perfection and this is something we've learned from our colleagues at Working Films who've st- and like please read up about it. It's online. They have a fantastic power sharing model. 
they talk about how perfection is a white supremacist thing. Like you can't have perfection. Let's just start from there that we'll screw up. And when we screw up, you tell me I'm screwing up. And when you screw up, I tell you when you're screwing up. And you don't lose your job for this. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned working films because if we're talking about nonprofit models and how we can shake them up and make them better, I think that you can look no further than working films. I, I you know, I'm still keeping an eye on how they're doing things um, and seeing how successful they are. It seems like they've been so successful so far, but you know, talk about an organization that has really looked inward and like made you know some really had some really hard conversations and made choices that I think are to the betterment of everyone that they serve. I think. Think we need to really be looking at organizations like working films and trying to think you know how how what leadership models work for us not what leadership models are standard or not what leadership models are uh, like a best practice according to some like 50 60 <laughs> 70 year old white guy who has you know studied nonprofits but from a very particular perspective but what models work for the communities that you serve in that organization and all documentary community organizations that serve um you know the the nonfiction space need to be having this conversation uh and need to be having like these kind of like heart to hearts about like how can we make our model better yeah absolutely and also like what leadership model works for you and do you not necessarily look good uh, looks good on a grand application right like you know we 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 place too much power on uh, these foundations uh, which is a whole different conversation so what i'm hearing is and i'll take your last thoughts on this that accountability and transparency which is something we already have a model of when it comes to documentary filmmaking because we are trying to put those practices in, in place so what I'm hearing is expanding those ideas to accommodate the documentary worker, as we spoke of uh, earlier. Um, your last thoughts, Shakira. Uh, yeah, I want to give a shout out to um, two Instagram pages I think have been really helpful in exposing some like real harmful practices at organizations uh, around the country and that times around the world, sharing articles, getting people together, uh, which is uh, at Fest Staffer Stories, one mm -hmm. word, uh, and Off the Fest Circuit. So at Fest Staffer Stories and off at Off the Fest Circuit, both um, Instagram pages that popped up, I would say during the pandemic, and just started talking about um, what we haven't been talking about. Everybody knows about uh, whisper culture. But again, you have to really understand that you are being abused in order for whisper culture to even come off the ground. So yes. I want to give a shout out to those two pages for um, helping us understand uh, what's happening around the country. And, and just to anybody listening here, like if you feel something is weird or something is kind of off, like it probably is, you know, uh, don't be afraid to investigate and interrogate the organization you work, work for. Check out the mission statement if you're in the United States and, and ask some questions about like, how, how am I contributing? Contributing to this by maybe not, you know, being critical enough and and talking enough with my colleagues. It is it is your duty. It is our duty uh, to all to continue to share information. Yeah, and another um, Instagram account uh, on the same vein is at Nonfiction Unite, uh, which which also does uh, you know something similar where nonfiction producers and production workers share their stories. Um, yeah, and then. You know, echoing what Shakira said, like Hanson and I, we had the idea of a union literally on a phone call saying, 
what on earth can we do to fix things or like to at least not have things be this bad so you know seek people out and like like Shakira said if you think something's amiss it probably is so just trust your gut with that and speak to your co-workers Hanson yeah I mean huge pluses one plus ones to both what, what both of you said um unionize your co-workers like I know that's yeah. like a scary <laughs> thought but like it's such an important step forward um and you'll find more likely than not that you will that you there are more people that you work with who think like you if you start talking to your coworkers. Um, you know, these systems aren't perfect. And, you know, I it's it's definitely a hard leap to make, but uh, but I I'm a huge advocate for it. It, it changed our lives, it really did. And, you know, I'm hoping that the documentary, uh, documentary Workers United is like the start of something. Um, and and on top of that, you know, I, I, me and Badatri have both talked about this. You know, if if you want to unionize or unionizing is, is part of something that you think would be better in your pl- workplace, the best first step is to, of course, talk to your coworkers, get a group of people together, um, a good consent, a good, a good group. Uh, of folks who are all interested in exploring this. Uh, it doesn't have to be all your coworkers, but a good group of your coworkers together. Um, and contact a local, find a local that that works for you. And, and essentially how unions work is that, you know, you you are a part of um, a local and part of a bigger organization. We, we unionized with CWA. Um, there's also, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, uh, what um, the... Um, what which union uh, the um, Academy Museum workers unionized with? Um, I know that, and I think that um, with a lot of the theater workers in New York, it's been um, actually United Steel Workers, I think, which is actually really UAW. Funny. UAW. Um, yes. United Auto Workers. That's right. Auto that's Workers. Right, that's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you just need to find the the local that is right for you. Um, and, uh, you just contact them, reach out, uh, cold call. They get these all the time, set up a meeting, have them come in, talk to your coworkers, answer your questions, go over the risks and, uh, and see if it's right for you. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it is oftentimes it is. Um, but you know, if you won't know, unless you take that first step and, uh, and it really does make the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that all of us have rent to make, insurance to pay for, but, you know, and all of us are scared of losing our jobs, but please know that each one of us, unionized or not, are safeguarded by a lot of rights. So maybe just talk to your local and just know about those rights. And But but most of all, seek out coworkers, speak to them, knowledge sharing, transparency, that's where it's at. Thank you so much, Shakira and Hansen. I could not have thought of two better people to have this conversation with. Yay, this was oh, fun. Yeah, and thank you to our friends at Doc, Doc Leipzig for letting us, you know, just chat and have make a great day out of this. And thank you for giving us this platform. Appreciate it. You all have a great day. Thank you for listening. Thank Thanks. you so Take much. Care.